Take the usual podcast hosting companies and you'll stay in expensive wonderland. Take the podcast of Matrix Hosting and you'll experience a completely different world of whole podcast library hosting. Choose wisely at podcastermatrix.com. That's podcastermatrix.com. Shield. It's an organization that both exists and doesn't exist all at the same time. For those in the know, Shield, the Strategic Homeland Intervention, Enforcement and Logistics Division, is the counterterrorism and intelligence agency run by Director Nick Fury. Its global reach, with thousands of operatives with differing skill sets across the globe, continues to grow. Shield's activities have been documented for a long time, both in comic books and feature films. Those legendary tales now transfer to the smaller screen in a weekly series on ABC via Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., a chronicle of the findings of a crack team of S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. This is the detailed review of those chronicles. Set your life model decoy to take care of life's business for now. It's time for another episode of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast from Two Guys Talking. The power of those who command is often absolute. What happens when a 100-year-old familiar-looking alien meets a reasonably new giant chocolate black man shield director who thinks he's got the upper hand. There are a lot of grand moments inside this most recent episode, but there's only one way to review them all. It's time for the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast, a complete detailed and always educational review of each and every episode of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on ABC and Hulu streaming. This time, Season 6, Episode 7, Told Ya. Greetings, everybody. I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. Yeah, and I'm Nicholas J. Hearn, your other host. Nick, some quick housekeeping. The capture of the Predator 2 perspective review. It's true that the movie came out in 1990. It's even more true that we just got done capturing the Predator 2 perspective review with you, myself, and, of course... A dude that was in a Predator suit inside that movie, Wyatt Weed. Yes, director extraordinaire Wyatt Weed. Yeah, what a, what a fantastic capture it was for everyone. It was yet another long capture, but <laughs> the stories are epic, just like every other long capture that we have. Very true. And I can't wait to share that with everybody. Look for more details about that as we continue to chalk down the edit inside of that episode. Look for more details and prepare for epic level Hollywood storytelling. Nick, that's all I got. Let's get straight into this Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast review. This time it's Season 6, Episode 7, Told Ya. Sponsored by Acoustica's Mixed Craft Recording Software, Blogger's Bug, and the St. Charles Office Center. Talking Tech, an interplanetary conveyance disc. We had seen this previously, Yep. where it essentially looks like a vertical frame Doctor Strange circle, but tech-based, rather than mm -hmm. sparks and fly detail, blah. First time we saw it, we thought it was an actual weapon. Right, and it's not. And we didn't, uh, we, we, we we talked about it a little bit, but we didn't focus on it. We surely didn't give it a talking tech moment. And so in the front end of this, we're actually gifted another interplanetary conveyance disc that ends up not being in anybody's hands that we care about. So, meh. Right. It was the only tech to talk about, except for, you know, what else was interesting inside this episode? The high-tech guillotines. The super really? high tech. Yeah, how, we, how was the, that going to be our talking? That could have been our talking tech moment, folks. How, how the about, high tech alien guillotine. Yeah. How about the baskets that are available over at Pier One? Right. Those are very cool. high tech alien. No, the other otherworldly. The other high tech element inside of this was, and it's something I always marvel at because uh, it's just something we just got done talking about inside of the Predator Two review, which is traditionally when there are screens that are seen someplace. They're often just green-colored stuff, and then they insert the stuff later. Right. And what I'm absolutely certain is happening inside of the Ops Center for S.H.I.E.L.D. right now, mm -hmm. 
those are real screens. Yeah. They're being created, obviously, yes, but they're they're real screens. And what I appreciate that, about that is that you don't have to have one static shot where obviously they were green screens and then they just overlaid a bunch of stuff into it. Right. You can they can actually pan a camera past it or get up on it and be looking at something past the screen and it still looks like it's a screen and that it's conveying information in detail. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they used it quite a bit inside of this too. There was a the transition of the Zephyr leaving. Rather than seeing the Zephyr leaving through the inverted waterfall, you see the graphic of you it. You see the graphic of yeah. it. So I, I, I was a big fan of both of those things inside this episode. Well, the way that it happens now when you want to do it practically, which I do appreciate, I, I really appreciate that, is since technology is so much smaller now, it's easier to hook one monitor up to one DVD player or one computer to show one specific image mm-hmm. over a multitude of screens, yeah. whereas... 25 years ago before we had the ability to just oh toss up the green in in the monitor and put whatever you want on it it's okay tv monitor tv monitor tv monitor and all the equipment that goes with it to try and put the image on there so thanks to technology becoming smaller and more compact it's easier to do practically but and this is something that we talked about on the predator 2 perspective review the fact that you try to pull off making futuristic things look futuristic by having a wall of monitors that was a herculean task back then Mm -hmm. not so much anymore yeah that's where we ask you guys what was your talking tech moment for this episode season six episode seven told you come on over and tell us about your talking tech moment by going to our facebook presence that's facebook.com forward slash shield podcast click and chime in on any one of the threads that's there or start your own Aren't they wanted on Kitson? And this eventually is shared inside of the narrative. But the instant that they showed up back on Kitson, I'm like, okay, this isn't going to go well. Right. Uh, in particular, if you show up in the same bar <laughs> with half yeah. of the same, I, and I didn't look, but I'm guessing the same people, alien, not alien people. Beans, Mike. They like to beans. be called beans. Thank you. Thank you for helping me <laughs> through that. I didn't want to offend any of the aliens. <laughs> anyway, I'm glad that they, they didn't just show up on Kitson and nobody cares because, well, they're not wanted anymore, so who cares? Right. I'm really glad that they kept the narrative of the story and it wasn't just a familiar place to go back to to go back to a familiar place. Right. In the preamble, the, the recap of the episode before it started, we get to see a little bit of Kitson and an alien creature saying, oh, you try to cheat. You know, Mr. Kitson's not going to be happy about that. Mm-hmm. So as soon as we show up back on Kitson, I'm like, oh, we're finally going to get to meet Mr. Kitson, are we? And, and yeah, we do. When in doubt, cuff behind. I was so ready as they're leading Snowflake and not Coulson down, down the hallway in the elevator block. All yeah, the, yeah. I was so ready for them to just haul off and and just knock unconscious everybody that was in the elevator yeah. because they weren't cuffed behind. And I I realized one for those that have never been handcuffed, it's you're not, missing out. It, <laughs> no, it, it's not comfortable being cuffed behind. In particular, if you have any shoulder problems, it's really really difficult. And so I can't tell you that both of these people have shoulder problems. I just know that it's incredibly more comfortable to not be cuffed behind, but it also is easier to manipulate people that have been cuffed behind because they can't inherently take a swing at you, for one. Mm -hmm. But I just wanted to make sure that everyone knew that if you have the opportunity to be cuffing somebody that should be detained and hopefully not wreaking havoc inside of, say, I don't know, an elevator or a detention center. Just make sure that you cuff behind rather than cuff in front. Yeah, yeah. Evidently, since Mac took over, the standards for S.H.I.E.L.D. (laughs) has just gone down. The snapshot of what's going on is brilliant. They have really built a wonderful character with Sarge. And again, my total hats off to Clark Gregg for being able to wrangle in, and I'm not kidding, 10 seconds exactly what's going on and what matters that people need to know about. Yeah. And they have a tendency to do this every, probably every other episode, maybe every three episodes here. 
And it's really effective because it instantly snaps you back to what is going on and what the meat of the focus is. Because if you if you look at this episode, there's a lot that goes on inside this episode. Yeah. But the meat is conveyed here inside this 10 seconds of Sarge. Right. And I love that. One of the things that is universal in early comic books, uh, and when I say early, I mean superhero comics from the 40s, maybe even into the mid-70s, there is almost always, in every issue, somebody makes mention of something that happened in the previous issue to get you caught up. But it seems very forced when you go back and read that old stuff. I agree. In this show, not and not even counting their nice little recaps, which they which are done very well. I mean, if if you haven't watched for a while, and you come back a month later and like, oh wow, I've got some Agents of Shield to watch. Nice little recap will help you. But they also do a great job of getting you caught up without taking that long time to go over every single thing mm-hmm. you missed. And this is a perfect example of being able to keep it short and sweet and to the point. Yeah, the the, the ability to offer cliff notes in, in snapshot form, which is exactly what we're getting here. Because yeah. saying that even this is cliff notes is being super kind because it's super short. Mm-hmm. And it's super to the point. And the, 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 again, the the gravity of what they, the, or the gravitas that they offer here in regard to the storytelling is wonderful because Mac uses it as a platform to essentially poke, poke fun and mm-hmm. poke power over not Coulson inside right. of this. I, I really appreciated it. It was just a really great platform. Finally, more atmospheric questions. This is something that I know I had focused on at least a couple of times after we had Jocko get captured because we knew that at some point he had needed to go back to the ship to re-environmentalize, for lack of a better term, where he needed to go back and grab some of the atmosphere that was his own planet slash world because what was going on on Earth was not terribly appropriate for him. And I'm like, okay, well, let's make sure that we also revisit that eventually. Otherwise, it's kind of a stupid flying factoid that nobody cares about. And so I'm really glad that not only is he kind of disabled sitting inside of a jail cell because... He is choosing to not tell them and or do anything to fix it, but it also becomes an excellent plot point later on inside the episode. I like the, that a lot. The silent treatment, you know, that that that's to be expected because you know I'm not going to tell. Uh, I'm not going to yeah. tell you screws nothing. Yeah, name ranks serial. serial yeah, right? exactly. Mm-hmm. But the coughing almost elicits pity, mm-hmm. or it, at the very least, concern mm-hmm. for a character Pathos who is for somebody that. Didn't have any. Right. But for a character who you know is up to good, but doing no good doing it, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, in a way. Yeah. You kind of like, totally. Oh, wow. I mean, I don't want to see Jocko die, but, you know, he's also responsible for, you know, helping kill people. So, Mm -hmm. how am I supposed to feel about this giant, hulking man? Mm -hmm. I'll tell you how you're supposed to feel about that giant, hulking man. The massive warrior is from a family of bakers? An interesting line of character development for Jocko. Now, I realize, before you all write in with hate mail, that this could all be lies. (laughs) Okay? So I get that. But that the writers bother to take the minute and a half to two and a half minutes that Jocko gets here and build in something that's really, really good, that really, really pays off, that's totally against the grain. I'm not kidding. Mm-hmm. If we if we take Jocko and we shove Jocko into a white outfit with the with the Chef Boyardee hat on, are you going to go, oh, yeah? And you're going to go, no, that's, a, that's not the image that conjures inside of anybody's mind. Right. And so I love that. I, I love when they take things that are completely unexpected and shove it in your face and make it a piece of the storytelling. Well, it also it's really adds, well done. Well, it adds to his alienness as well because we find out that he's the runt of the litter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, and his younger brother is taller than he is. Taller. Towers over him. Yeah. Even though he looks human, just a very big one, we can now imagine more of his family only towering over him, almost almost like giants. 
and then of course this this whole scourge comes to the his planet the the shrike and he's all that's left so we start piecing together that sarge is also recruiting orphans to mm. his cause the mm. orphans of these planets that he was not able to save come help me fight maybe we can save another one we couldn't save yours but maybe we can save another one mm. not only painting the character development picture of Jocko, but then in a broader spectrum, the rest of Sarge's group. Yeah, and the mission. Yeah, uh, and the, the mission. The, the mission that they're on. A discussion of a benevolent God. I love this, not just simply because it mirrors a lot of what I think about, quote, God, unquote, but that it's brought up inside of a, a reasonably popular mainstream television program, right in the middle of the program, no less, mm-hmm. is... A really interesting move, especially knowing how devote Mac is. Right. So it becomes not only an affront, but it becomes another little piece of the the can opener that Sarge is using on Mac throughout the entire episode. Yeah. And I find that incredibly endearing for Sarge inside of this episode. And really, if you if you look back, every time he's doing this to one of the other characters, it's also a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. The, again, the character of Sarge is written very, very adeptly, and I, I really appreciate the can opener items that are going on almost accidentally, especially towards the end of the episode. Right. Sarge is being written as the likable bad guy. Mm. I mean, really, mm-hmm. he is. Mm-hmm. Because it, it, it's not like he never really lies. He also doesn't tell the truth all the time, but he never really lies. What he does is, I would say that he's he's such a great judge of character, and he's been around enough to where he can read people mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. like that instantly. Instantly, right. yeah, that can be very disconcerting. Yeah, mm-hmm. and when you have a character like that, usually they're twirling a mustache, mm-hmm. but we don't have that here. Not only that, he looks like Coulson. Well, yeah, and it's coming from Col- somebody who looks right. just like Phil Coulson. Right. So it's a it's a double punch for anybody, any of the agents of Shield. Yeah, I I I, I fell into the rabbit hole of YouTube uh, late afternoon yesterday, and somehow I ended up on this Predator versus Prey show, and it was focusing on the. Southern, no, Southwestern New Mexico Correctional Facility or something like that. Mm. It's some prison and it's in uh, New Mexico. And inside of there, you know, you have every manner of not good guy you can imagine, right? Right. Okay. And many of the, and I'm not kidding when I say many, many of them, you look at them and you go, yep, mm-hmm, yep, you should obviously be in jail. <laughs> but You're a criminal. Right. But then there are other ones. They're just a dude. And and I realize that's that's me painting with a wide brush, especially, you know, it's it's some producer inside of a television show choosing what is going to be shown. I get it. Well, yeah. But it reminds me of that where you look at a dude and you go, okay, there's something not quite right there. And then you'll hear him speak or they'll read his rap sheet. Yeah. And you go, wow. And it seems to me that not Coulson's rap sheet is something I think we're going to start developing and or finding out more about. I mean, we've already found out quite a bit. Lots and lots of it not good. Yeah. But I think we're going to find out more. And it's going to lead to more of that teeter-totter of, look, we we have to bargain with him, which they did. Mm-hmm. Because he's either got knowledge or experience that we've got to somehow take advantage of so that people don't die. So what do we do? And the answer is you play the game. Yep. A multiverse confirmed and a theory. This is excellent. This is also after an excellent scene with Deacon Daisy inside of this episode that I really appreciated too. Yeah. I loved her nonchalant matter of fact. And then I loved even more that the reveal came completely off camera. Mm. I thought that that was a masterstroke in regard to storytelling where he just thunders into Mac and starts wailing on Mac because he wasn't told anything. Right. Uh, about anything that happened with Fitz. No, well, he left. And, no, right. And no. that's that's what Max's retort is. You left. Yeah, and, and I love all of that. Mm-hmm. I think that's all incredibly well done. But what also is confirmed and very, very interesting, 
because it might belay some of your complete hatred for the MCU when it comes to not letting the writers be involved inside of Endgamery, but also Infinity War. Because essentially, none of that happened, quote-unquote, because they were told to just not worry about it. Fair? It was starting to happen. There's mention of it in the final episode of Season 5, while Daisy's going up against Graviton. They're talking about, yeah, there's a there's an alien ship over New York. Okay, well, that alien ship was one of the Black Order sent there to get the stone for Thanos. So the events of Infinity, Infinity War were starting mm-hmm. in the last episode mm-hmm. of season five. Right. So they could le- at least were able to shove that in there. But snaps? Oh, we don't know no nothing about no snaps. Oh, and the fact that it also took five years for, for anything good to happen to the rest of the universe? No, we don't know nothing about that no more either. F- fine. Deke saying that, yes, the theory of a multiverse does exist... Well, yeah, I didn't. I didn't need this show to tell me that. I'm a comic book fan, man. I know the multiverse. Well, good. Exists. Then, along with your comic book fanness and your now your your already vast knowledge of what Deke is telling us, then you can just shut up and smile about the MCU and not involving Endgameness or not. <laughs> if you want, if you want to have a combined universe, everything should matter. I, 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 and I I'm never going I, to not I, stop saying that. I, I would. I would tend to agree. I just know that we're. We're hurtling faster and faster away from the end of Endgame. It's laziness like that that leads to the DC movie universe. <laughs> and unless there's some sort of very interesting post-credit scene that includes the Agents of Shield, which is not entirely impossible, <laughs> in the in the re-release. No. Okay. Well, then I, I think we're going to have it's something. Not, it's not possible. All right. Multiverse confirmed checkbox, and a theory that we've talked about checkbox. Told ya! Holy weird science! There he is! The man that also has three names, and his name is... Anthony Michael Hall. Excellent. Who looks exactly like Anthony Michael <laughs> Hall and not some alien who runs an entire planet. I, I too, would have liked to have seen him with some sort of makeup on. Perhaps Could, Couldn't uh, toss a third eye up a, there? Perhaps or a, a nose bridge or... Yeah! I don't know, a, a red dress. Maybe a tattoo of some sort. Mm. A decorative face tattoo. An eyebrow tattoo. That Maybe would be a good. unibrow. A unibrow. You don't see that enough. You that don't see that enough on aliens. Total sense. Awesome. We now welcome Anthony Michael Hall into the mix, and I don't think it's going to be the last time we see him inside this series. A guillotine game of thrills. Probably the most inept piece of this episode for a variety of reasons. Let me explain. Oh, go ahead. One, I don't know who the director was inside of this. I I saw her name, but I don't know who it is. And I don't know what their skill set is. But what their skill set isn't is lighting a scene like the guillotine room. It was terribly lit. All across the board. Two, the guillotines themselves, you and I built the guillotines for this episode and then <laughs> mailed them off to Hollywood. Not nearly good enough. You and I have come through a variety of different episodes where we've mentioned a variety of different things that may look even theater craft like, but they never look like crap. And these look like crap. Yeah. The chains looked like crap. They did not look weighty at all. There was no heft to anything that we saw that was hovering above their heads. The way that they were laying on them, on the, not beds, but on the guillotine platform things that they were attached to, hated that. The biggest, most egregious thing, the Cracker Barrel available baskets that were underneath the three soon-to-be-decapitated head people. Yeah. Hated that. Absolutely hated it. It seems that the construction was very rushed. Yeah, rushed is a good Because the materials do not add up to alien world. I'll buy that death by guillotine is universal. Fine. 
totally fine with that. But when the guillotine doesn't look at all alien, we couldn't even paint the blade to make it look like something other than, you know, steel, even though it wasn't steel. Or maybe some ornate scrolling something on it. Something. Yeah, something. Something. A glow that could have been added in post, you know, to make it feel alien. Uh, Did we have to go with the full-on old-fashioned neck lock? Why, why couldn't we have done something a little bit spacey? And your baskets. I get that you want to have something that you can see through when the head is carried away. Hey, what about a clear plastic tub or something like that? It may as well have been a tub. Yeah, well, We could have gone down to the Walmart and gotten the tub and it wouldn't have made any difference because yeah. you can't possibly make it look any worse. See, if I was I, if I was doing a short film or even a stage play... These would be fine, perfectly fine. But this is a television show mm-hmm. taking place in the Marvel Universe on an alien freaking planet. Yeah. It needs yeah. to, we, we need, if I can't have aliens who don't look human, mm-hmm. then I need to have a guillotine that looks alien. Yeah. I was totally unsatisfied with nope. this entire scene. The way that I knew that I wasn't satisfied is that. Every time we're shown them laying on the tables, I'm reminded that this looks stupid. Mm-hmm. And it instantly jerks me out of the storytelling elements. And that's not what is not what's supposed to happen. Someone else loses their head and money exchanges hands. All right, so we knew that Fitz and Simmons kind of safe inside, well, yeah. of this, inside of this episode. So we knew that the other dude was going to die. Mm. Okay, the good part and where the stick started being pulled up is when the money is changing hands, yes, but the knife being held to the back of Anthony Michael Hall, that was that, that was at least satiable and helped tone down the, the disgusting nature of the faux guillotine moments inside of this episode. Evidently, when you come into the establishment when they ask for your weapons because remember they did have when the first time we were on kitson we all saw everybody had to give up their weapons pointy things evidently not considered a weapon on kitson Uh, perhaps there wasn't a cavity search done for these particular weapons yes perhaps another mission capture not kill This might be my favorite part of this episode, and it's because we go from the end of the terrible, reasonably stoic, gotta-be-kidding-me, stupid guillotine scene to running at full bore down the street at 1,000 miles an hour getting ready to go get the Shrikes. Right. I really enjoyed that. It was was a wonderful departure from a place inside the episode that I didn't want to be, and then we're given all kinds of awesome for the next eight and a half minutes or so. Yeah, this, well, I mean, this is, this is S.H.I.E.L.D. This is what S.H.I.E.L.D. agents do. And to see them execute the operation, I loved it. This is how you're supposed to do it. Yeah. Butcher, baker, fire breather. So there's an interesting notation that I did not anticipate at all inside this episode. I also thought that crewman seaman, the black dude with the walkie-talkie, inside of the, the holding cell with Jocko... I thought surely we were just going to get barbecued dude with a walkie-talkie. Where the last scene that we would see of him is just this kind of chalky black painted skeleton with a walkie-talkie going. But that's not what we got. That's not what happened. I I was totally expecting that guy to die without any question. Nope, no death. Just a potential escape plan. Which, again, comes out of nowhere. I mean, you don't expect... Jocko to be able to breathe fire you have to start wondering is it his atmosphere that allows him to not breathe fire and not being on his home planet and breathing his air did him going to a different planet and breathing new stuff allow him to be a fire breather or was that something that's a part of his physiology on his planet questions there are questions and it really doesn't matter if I get the answers because now we know that Jocko can breathe fire. Well, it does for me, mostly because I want to see me some firebrand pizza courtesy of Jocko. Quaked into unconsciousness. 
this is brilliant too. This this the whole cessation of Jocko's end scene where Daisy launches the door at him and then just thud. Man, that was brilliant. That that whole thing, that the cadence, the way it was pulled off, the way that he thumps uh, off camera and you see Snowflake go Jocko. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, it was the, really good. The image you see is the the door comes in and hits him and the door falls. Jocko does not. Mm -hmm. So you're right. Oh, we're going to have a fight. Yeah, Jocko versus Daisy. It's about damned. Oh, no, we're. No. Oh, it's over already. Okay. <laughs> Simple and quick. This is referring to a variety of things, not just the cessation of Jocko being taken care of, but a variety of things that happen very, very quickly towards the conclusion of this episode. And what I really appreciate about the simple and quick nature and why I noted it here is because there's four or five things that happen towards the end of the episode that are done so simply and so quickly, yet they're still satisfying. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of times inside of especially television, the television writers and or producers forget that things can be simple and things can be quick Yeah, and they can be satisfying. But they have to be made to be those things. They can't just accidentally happen. And I find that that happens a bunch inside of television where someone just said, you know, if we don't show a lot of this, no one will know. Or, you know, if we speed through this, nobody's going to remember that. And they're not wrong when it comes to pace. Yeah. But they are wrong when something is simple and something is quick and it doesn't provide anything satisfying at the end. And again, there are four or five points here inside of the end of the episode where it is simple, quick, and satisfying. The first is Daisy putting cessation to the Jocko threat. It's simple. It's quick. We thought there was going to be a fight. Might have even been cool if there was a fight. Yeah. But we didn't get one. And while that might not sound satisfying, the way that they paint the end of the Jocko threat is incredibly satisfying. Right. Yeah. Next thing that they have is the ramp up to figuring out what is going on on the plane. The, the whole thing of the two strikes coming together is incredibly quick. Inside of a feature film, that might take 20, 25 minutes all on its own, where they're going to get them, they're kind of ushering them onto a plane, then they have the two of them meet in a chamber, and then hilarity ensues, and and then whatever's going well, on. Well, yeah, you could have you could have drugged that out if you wanted to, right? And they didn't need to. And everything that happens is super ultra simple. You got two guys that don't look like they should be there. They they look like they went and got a couple dudes off the street, and then put masks on them, and then they told them, "Okay, I need you to go into the into the pod and shake." Okay, ready? Go. Mm hmm. Okay. All right, I need you to put your hand on that dude's chest. Mm-hmm. Okay, now shake some more. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Then CGI hilarity ensues. And it's all perfect, and it's super quick, and it's super satisfying. The next super simple and quick piece is they're able to cave to Sarge's demands. Now, you might think that's not satisfying, but look, dude, do you want May and Yo-Yo and the crew to die or don't you and if the answer is no then i need an answer right now and they give an answer and the answer is fine we caved your demands now help us you've got to get them frozen and within a matter of a minute and a half maybe they're able to realize that all they've got to do is open up the ramp vent the atmosphere so that the atmosphere gets cold They've got the little portable masks. They loop their arms around some of the netting on something that's static inside the plane. Right. And it's all taken care of quickly, efficiently, and satisfyingly. Again, the, the mix of simple, quick, and satisfying is not something alien. It is something that can be used as a tool. And I thought that it was used really, really well inside this episode. Question. Can Mac stand up against not Coulson slash Sarge? The answer is yes, wonderfully yes. And what's even greater is that we say yes definitively to this question. And then you get to the end of the episode where mm. Sarge is in charge of the whole thing. Yeah. And and that's wonderful. It Again, it's that totally unanticipated, we don't know where we're going style flavor 
that the show is becoming more and more well-known for, and it's terribly satisfying when they do that. Well, I I can't agree with you where the the unknown outcome because you I'm sorry I knew this was happening we were building to this uh, we even talked about it a handful of episodes past it's the reluctant team up mm-hmm. it's the aspect of the role playing game where you know you have this non playable character that y- you can't stand and and you're butting heads against but to achieve the ultimate goal you're going to have to ally yourself with this character to complete the mission or save the princess or do whatever. Mm -hmm. And this is that episode. This is the episode where that officially, by the very end, yeah, we have to team up. What are they doing? Nothing good is what they're doing. (laughs) This is going back to where the, the two Shrikes are interacting inside of the pod. Like, what are they doing? (laughs) The answer is nothing good. I vote we don't put them together just to... Uh, yeah, that's the thing. I'm, I'm yelling at the screen when they're doing that. I'm like, what the hell are you doing? They yet were, again, they yet were again, moving this towards is, each other. This was, oh, yeah, and they're, and they're, again, handcuffed in front. <laughs> this, is a, this is another, for me, this is another case of why didn't we bring more than just one containment unit? Mm-hmm. Do you actually think it's a good idea to put these alien creatures together? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Especially when, you know... They were moving towards each other, trying to find each other. Mm-hmm. You did it for them. Mm-hmm. For me, this is very similar to the guillotine Kitson stuff. It's mm-hmm. like, are we supposed to believe that you're painting all the signs that these things, these two things are wanting to come together, and nobody on our team is picking that up? I ah. guess because both the science officers are off in another uh, world. See, and that's that's a horrible excuse. An, it's it an is. excuse, it but is. it's a horrible excuse. It is. I expect better. Watch Sarge take control without lifting a finger. This, again, is another one of those wonderful prying can opener moments where without doing hardly anything except speaking inside of this episode and looking firmly and almost thumbing his nose at Mac bringing him into a room that also contains Coulson with Coulson's goofy-ass grin on it. Yeah. That that whole scene, that all of that inside of this episode was absolutely awe-inspiring because of the unrelenting can openerness that Sarge puts to Mac and everybody else around him, and it's effortless. Everything that he says is an instant thumb in the eye for anybody that he's referring to, and it's perfect. And it's not it's not anger filled. It's just look, you you guys don't get it. I'm going to be in charge of this ship and everything on it by the end of today. And I love that. I, th- I thought that it was great, and he's absolutely right. Yeah, it's the, the fencing match. The, the, mm, the That's very well said. Between Mac and the Sarge. The, it, duel. the duel. Yeah. And every now and then you, you – you, well, for the longest time you feel like Sarge has the upper hand. Then Mac comes up with a couple of really good ideas. And Sarge realized, oh, okay, Mac's not a pushover. Mm-hmm. Maybe I got to press a little bit harder. Mm -hmm. Back and forth, back and forth until, oh, guess what? You're a dumbass. You're putting the shrieks together and nothing good is going to happen. So we get the the whole reason why the episode's name is what it is because told ya. Enoch departs. Inside of a very interesting stinger that was incredibly long. A little bit longer than normal. A lot longer. We have a variety of things that happen, and it's not that I didn't care that Enoch was departing, but I didn't feel like I was losing anything with Enoch departing here. Hmm. And it wasn't because he'd given him the sonar beacon slash not Captain Marvel pager that if you know if you need me, please let me know. Well, I at least it was more of an update, updated thing because it looked like a cell phone. <laughs> Just a yeah. just a, an advanced. It had something attached yeah, a to it. Couple buttons or something. So on it, yeah. yes, we get the little nod. We get the nod to technology from Captain Marvel. But guess what? It can be a lot cooler than just a pager. I I think the problem is, and I was sad to see Enoch go, but it kind of makes sense because what is what is he going to be? Is he going to be the robot sidekick? Enoch's got bigger fish to fry, but that just means we're going to see him again later on. Yeah, well, because I- he's going to get in trouble. 
and he's gonna. There's one person he's gonna call. Fitz is gonna come running, and he'll have a team with him, and that'll be either the end of the season or that might be the push into season seven. Who knows? Yeah. And, and and if he doesn't come, well, then Captain Marvel can come, and she can <laughs> fly through a couple of ships, thereby destroying the entire alien threat, nullifying every other need and skill set of any other hero on screen. And hey, that oh wait a minute, we've already done that a couple of times. Here's here's the. The reason why I think the Enoch stuff was kind of flat, even though it was touching, it's flat. That whole B plot of Enoch, Gemma, and 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 Fitz, all of them. After last episode, the grandeur, mm-hmm. the majesty yeah. of that episode, mm-hmm. the plot for them in this one kind of seemed a little anticlimactic. Considering well, was, what they it, went through, it, it was last one. It was reasonably anemic. Yeah, I, I, there was very little in the way of any power. And I'll tell you what, the lack of power was propelled by lame guillotine scene. No, well, it's 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 basically it's like okay, so we need to get them to Earth, but instead of making it as easy as just using that portal thing and boom, they're there. There has to be a roadblock to introduce mysterious redheaded woman who hires them slash saves them slash puts them into mm-hmm. slavery mm-hmm. Ah, I, I really think that could have been that whole b plot could have been handled a lot better because when you put it up against the a plot for this episode with sarge and may and the shrieks and everything else unbalanced as hell yeah i'll agree with that all right nick you and i have been talking for quite a long time in fact i've been talking long enough to notice that I need a breath mint. Otherwise, I am going to be breathing like Jocko was inside of this episode. I'm going to get a breath mint. We will be right back. You go get that breath mint, Mike. We'll be right back with more Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast. Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great, cost-effective on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box. From The Voice Box, voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com. For most, Friday the 13th means Jason Voorhees. What a lot of people don't know, however, is that there was another Friday the 13th, the television series. Join your podcast hosts, Mike and Nick, as they review the search for cursed antique goods during a perspective review of Friday the 13th, the series. It's the Curious Goods Podcast. Check it out now at CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. That's CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Wouldn't it be cool if your advertising could last forever? It can, with perpetual advertising. Here's how it works. Magazine, radio, and television ads are efforts that people might see or hear once, and then they're lost forever. Perpetual advertising provides you with the chance for repeat exposure and replayability weeks, months, even years after it's originally inserted inside a podcast. So even after your advertising is included in a podcast years ago, those efforts are still impactful, providing you with true return on investment. Real impact, thanks to perpetual advertising. Are you ready to change the way you and your company or organization advertises? Find out more and launch a unique perpetual advertising effort right now by visiting twoguystalking.com forward slash sponsors. Everyone, welcome back to the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast, a complete, detailed, and always educational review of each and every episode of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on ABC and Hulu streaming, this time Season 6, Episode 7. Told ya! Every time we come back from break, it's time for Nick and I to open up our S.H.I.E.L.D. dossiers. 
Our S.H.I.E.L.D. dossiers are where Nick and I recognize either an actor's portrayal, a storytelling element, or something else that tripped our collective review night. Fantastic. Nick, what do you got? My S.H.I.E.L.D. dossier is filled with Sarge. Mm. In an episode that had several speed bumps, most occurring in the B-plot, <laughs> Sarge was a, a, a shining beacon. Every time we got to visit with this character, I'm not going to compare it to the quid pro quo stuff with Hannibal Lecter because I don't mm. view Sarge like that, but mm. I can't think of anything else to compare it to because it is like that. Mm. It's it's a very, I am the smartest guy in the room. I know exactly how this is going to play out, and I'm not going to tell you anything unless I want to. As the episode plays out, we see Sarge and Mac do the dance, do the duel. And I know I mentioned it earlier before in, in one of our talking points, but there's just something about having a character, especially one that looks like Phil Coulson. We are constantly reminded just because he looks like Coulson doesn't mean that he is Coulson. I don't care what the DNA says. This isn't Coulson. Story, so for the storytelling angle, brilliant. Love it. Because now you've got an adversary that fosters an emotional response from our heroes because of the way that he looks. And then the way that he speaks to them hurts them emotionally because, wow, this is not the guy that we loved. As an acting standpoint, how much fun do you think Clark Gregg is having right now? Oh, yeah. Because not only does he get to keep working with the people that he's worked with now for the last six plus years. Even after his character's dead. Yeah, even after his character was dead. Yeah. He gets to be a totally different character. And we've talked about this before uh, with the character of Ward. Mm -hmm. How in just, in one series, one actor got to play three, actually, when you think about the framework, four different versions of himself. And that's just fun. Yeah. As an actor, you just get you got you got to think of wow, that's a challenge, but that's really going to be fun. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. My my dossier chock full of Sarge. Yeah, I'm, you have to look at exactly the same thing in regard to the Mirror Mirror Universe episodes inside mm. of any Star Trek franchise, especially because, when they're done well. Yeah, because that 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 ability to be the evil version of insert name of character right. or the offshoot version of character that could never happen inside of the traditional realm of story writing inside of even something as out there as Star Trek. Yeah. It allowed them to have that that avenue, that safety valve to let off a little steam doing something completely different mm-hmm. in a completely different manner than they traditionally do. And it's wonderful. I almost want to steal the same thing that you have here, <laughs> but I'm going to go a little bit more focused on mine. My S.H.I.E.L.D. dossier inside this episode is without question filled with the static image of glowing Coulson. Anytime inside of this scene that we're kind of alluding to in general, where it's Mac trying to get over on Sarge and inevitably, without question, it's Sarge getting over on Mac and the fake Coulson that's standing there in, in <laughs> right. 3D. But that that vision of Coulson is... I think that all of us hold that vision of Coulson something dear. Yeah. And I absolutely make that my S.H.I.E.L.D. dossier entry inside of this episode. That's where we ask you guys, what was your S.H.I.E.L.D. dossier moment inside this episode? Let us know by going over to our website. That's agentsofshield.tv. Fill out the quick web form and tell us what your S.H.I.E.L.D. dossier was for this episode, episode 7 of season 6. Told ya! Ah, the rating inside of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast. The scale works thusly. A 10 is on top of the heap. A smirking yet silent Coulson beaming with life even though he's gone. A 1 is the faux guillotine on the bottom of the scale. Ready to chop nothing because it's unworthy of this episode and series. A seven is an average where all episodes start. The numbers go up with positives. The numbers go down with negatives. And Nick, there are no halvesies. Nick, what do you got? I'm going to slightly elaborate on some of the things that we pointed out during the review of this episode Mm -hmm. to explain my rating for this episode. Uh The B-plot 
the B story for this episode is a letdown. And it's not just because of production. It's almost as if last episode was so epic that they were doomed to not live up to that awesomeness in this in this episode. And it shows. It's it's a very lackluster, hey, guess what? By the time we're done with this episode where this is all concerned, yeah, we're going to find a way back to Earth. Uh, how how convenient. What what should have been a little bit more complicated or which could have been as dirt simple as the disc actually taking them to Earth, we have to have this, oh, you got to meet with Mr. Anthony Michael Kitson here and he's going to chop your head off with, you know, some really pedestrian guillotines. Now, in the A story, we, we poke fun at it, but it is actually kind of a big problem. The fact that we have these dangerous individuals and we are not treating them as such. You do not cuff somebody in the front. It's always from behind. Always. It's, it's just, that's just how it's supposed to be done. You could be cuffed from behind, but not be cuffed like this. You can have the chain be all that, as long as you've got your arms behind your back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You don't actually have to be really cuffed, as long as that camera is not behind you. Hey, work for Chewbacca. Chewbacca was not cuffed, cuffed from behind. It was from the front. Right, but he wasn't really cuffed. But Right, but it also just proves what the, the Empire are just a bunch of morons. <laughs> Also, add on to the fact that they put two alien creatures in the same pod together. Yeah, that sounds smart to me. Compared to past episodes, we've had some really brilliant writing on problem solving, how to get to A to B to C to D. And in this episode, it kind of seems like, oh man, we're, we're really tired. Can we just go from A to B and make it a lot easier on us? That's what it felt. It felt like this is the transition episode. You take all that and then compare it to not only just the rest of this season that we've already experienced, but just last episode and how amazing that was. I have to take this down. Got to put it in the guillotine and chop off its head twice. My rating for this episode is an eight. That's an interesting number for this episode. I, I think... What strikes me the most inside this episode, there's even a, an actual line from Enoch where he essentially says, I need you to showcase exuberance about this game. And, and Gemma, she goes, woohoo, win this game, complete that challenge. That's what their entire line of story felt like. Right. It, like somebody had to tell them, okay. I need you to actually act right now. Cool? <laughs> and she goes, woohoo! Take that challenge. Tote that barge. <laughs> right, and, yeah. and it really fell flat. I, I, I realize and, and probably agree with you in that the brilliance and genius of the last episode that was about a 45 on the scale of 1 to 10 yeah. could not possibly be equal. Then there's going to be a little bit of, a little bit of that that's going on. But that you, you can't grab the B slash alternate story that I think is actually going to turn into something a lot more shiny than we anticipate. That, that can't be brought up that we're delivered something with Anthony Michael Hall that I, I think lackluster is being kind. Mm -hmm. it, it felt like we need, okay, so we're going to get a reasonably low-level celebrity and um, how about we put him here? And that's what it felt like. And they evidently spent all that money that they could have him. spent on the guillotines, <laughs> making it look a little bit more alien and authentic to an alien world for Anthony Michael Hall. Nothing against Anthony Michael Hall. Great to see an old brat packer, but eh, I, I, I don't I, care. I, I don't either. The The scene was so short that if it wasn't him, I don't care. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't move me either way. It reminds me a lot of the time, a lot of the other times that we've seen Anthony Michael Hall in other movies where I didn't care that it was him. The Dark Knight is a perfect sample where if that wasn't him... Anybody could have I played don't care. that reporter. Right, it doesn't yes. make any difference. It, it th There is no chalk-up value because, oh my God, I feel so mo so much more robust that it was him. It's like, what, what, uh, Amazing Spider-Man, you know, <laughs> yes. C. Thomas Howell <laughs> yes, as exactly. the construction guy. It was like, 
It could be played by anybody. anybody. It doesn't freaking matter. But anybody. oh, you got C. Thomas Howell. Yes. So good for good yeah. for him for getting a job. And, and that that's actually very well said. He he actually is another actor that I think has that that's handed to him when he appears in something mm-hmm. where everybody's going to some for some reason it's, rally. Oh my goodness. See Thomas Howell. Hey, oh, dude, wow. I remember him in The Outsiders. No, no, nobody cares. <laughs> <laughs> dude, Wolverines. Yes, I get it, but we just don't care. We're, we're happy to see him work, but come on, man. I like nostalgia, and I like using old older actors that we can remember from things long gone by. Yes. But make it freaking matter, man. Well, not only make it matter, but like have it have any impact. What at all did Anthony Michael Hall provide us that was impactful? Nothing. Nothing. Zero. No, nothing. He was the He kind didn't even of, do an accent or anything. He was the kind of foil for the redhead lady. That eventually has to go somewhere, but she doesn't have a ship to get there. Oh, okay. Interesting. And if he was as big of a bad guy as he's made out to be, after getting the money from her, then it would have been, grab them. Yeah. Would have been that. It's been not the, just, not, the woman threatened to kill me. Mm-hmm. We made a deal. I got her money. And now I'm going to get, I'm going to double cross right. her. It, and it's, it's the Harry Mud moment. And I think that's what he wanted this character to be for him. Mm. Was that he wanted it to be the Harry Mud moment, and for those that have seen the first season of Star Trek Discovery, mm-hmm. you'll have met Harry Mud inside of that series, and it is brilliantly played and and sh- showcased without question. And it's because of that you don't know what he's going to do, and when he does it, you can't quite believe what he did. Moment, and that's what's completely missing from this episode. Nothing of anything in the B line at all. Was anything above, woohoo, take that challenge, tote that bail. And I, we just didn't care. So right there, we're already chalked way below the general status bar, which is traditionally a 10. Yeah, yeah. That chalked it down a couple for me. I have to take it down another one for the stupid things going on inside of this episode. Not cuffing from behind before you guys all freak out on me that it's such a nothing move and that you're taking it down more notches for that. Well, let's investigate the Shrike combination moment for a moment. You've got to be kidding me. Nobody on the plane, including any of the either already dead people or pseudo science officer, whomever that was with yo-yo or yo-yo or mate, nobody on the plane thought that that might not be a good idea. Yeah. Uh, We can even make it bigger. Nobody else at HQ thought that that would be a bad idea either. Mm-hmm. I can't do that. That that deserves at least another chalk down. And so my score for this episode is a seven. An average, but still a seven in a season full of at least tens. That's where we ask you guys, what was your rating for this episode? Season six, episode seven, told you. Let us know what you think by going over to our website. That's agentsofshield.tv. Click anywhere inside the web form, fill out that quick web form, and tell us what your score was. Until next time, I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. And I'm Nicholas J. Hearn, your other host. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. We're thankful you were able to review this covert communication, reviewing the most recent episode of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., a chronicle of the stories and soon-to-be legends on ABC. Be sure to tune in to our ongoing top-secret communication with agents all over the globe via our Facebook presence immediately. Facebook.com forward slash S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast to be the first to be made aware of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. news, the arrival of our newest reviews, and more. The Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast, a super show for fans of superheroes. Uncover the mysteries, critical information, and reviews now by accessing agentsofshield.tv. That's agentsofshield.tv. End this top secret two guys talking communication. First, there's this giant dagger in the back of Michael Anthony Hall's back. 
And I, that is the piece of this scene that I really did enjoy. Anthony Michael Hall. Oh. What did I say? Michael Anthony Hall. Not, it's Anthony Michael Hall. Anthony Michael Hall. Anthony. <laughs> I can't hear you saying the crib words. Jesus. A-M-H. Okay. I, I didn't have a, 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 a oh, funny well, Anthony insert? Michael Hall joke ready. I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, next time I'll come prepared. <laughs> Insert the tone. 